The title I've given, for the, I'm not going to do a lot this evening, and I decided to spend the time in worship primarily, but I want to honour Laurie's uh, programme. Um, but I, and the topic he's given me tonight in this uh, series is about the cost of unity. The cost of unity. And when I first saw it, I thought that's a slightly bizarre and backwards title. Because one always thinks about the cost of disunity. And we're talking here about unity in the body of Jesus. And I'm certainly not talking about unity in the sort of global inter-church relations aspect. I'm only really thinking about you know, the body of Jesus locally. I do have strong views on that bigger issue, but that's not where it's going to land tonight. And let's face it, inside our community, it's only, what, 130, 40, 50 people. There's still plenty of room, isn't there, for disunity. Um, and it's easy to talk about the cost of disunity, and, and, that, and we talk quite a lot about you know, the importance of unity. But to look at the cost of unity, I mean, it's a bit like saying, you know, um, what's the cost of having a loving parent? Well, there's not one. It's great. It's clearly, unity is clearly a good thing. So why is, well, there is a cost, I think. And having prayed a bit into it, I, I think there's, it's quite interesting and quite a deep thing, actually. But I don't, think it's, I don't think it's big, but I think it's quite deep. I want to use an, a, an Old Testament example. Um, and there's a lot more I could say into it. I just want to, coach, you know, I want to get on that one theme from it. And the, probably the biggest example of, and you can tell me, actually, you guys know, you're, you're all biblical scholars, the biggest example of disunity in God's people in the Old Testament is... No, okay, no one said. The, the split of the kingdom, when the kingdom splits. Brief historical background. Uh, David, bless him, becomes the second king, first king Saul. But David becomes king over, uh, like, only Judah, only one tribe, or perhaps two tribes. And um, he becomes king, and... After a while, the northern tribes, the 12 other tribes, sorry, 10 other tribes, adopt him as king. It's like a covenant thing. They meet and they agree to make him king. And then David is David, and David is, as you know, a man, God, a man after God's own heart. Uh, and David is a man of war and stuff, and there's loads of things massively wrong. But when he goes wrong, he immediately says, you know, Lord, I'm wrong. And his heart is absolutely set on God's law, even if sometimes he falls apart, and quite badly, really. You know, desiring someone else's wife and then getting the bloke killed so you can marry her is really not um, sort of good. <laughs> it's abuse of power. It's all manner of awful things. Um, but David's heart is sure. And once it's pointed out, Nathan comes and tells him, David is immediately, look, God, you're right. His son, and, and the succession's a bit of a mess. Um, David's family is a bit of a mess, to be honest. Another sermon there about it. Um, all over the place, rebellions and you know, anyway, fallings out. But Solomon is the son that succeeds him. And if you read the king's account of Solomon, Solomon's reign is he's, he's absolutely, he's a man of peace. He builds a temple. He asks God for wisdom. He's very wise. People are amazing. He's very wealthy. He's a, you know, the, the kingdom has peace. All through David's time, he's fighting these wars with other countries around them. Uh, and, and it's quite a big empire in sort of Middle Eastern terms. It goes, you know, pretty much from, from where we currently see the boundary of Israel to Egypt. 
right up to, to what we currently call you know, bits of Syria, Iran. It's, big, it's a big area. And Solomon is, 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 like I say, this great successful king. Has his flaws, again, very much so. We'll come back to those later. But after Solomon, in 1 Kings 12, we read the story of how, the, how it splits. How that unity of the whole of Israel, of all the 12 tribes under David and Solomon, is, is ruptured. I'm going to read just about 12 verses so to you uh, from 1 Kings 12, if you're following it online. And uh, Solomon's son, so you've got David, his son Solomon, Solomon's son is a guy called Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, in 12 chapter 1, goes to Shechem. This is the place where they make covenants, where the covenant actually was, when, when Israel adopted the northern tribes, the, the ten tribes, adopted David as king. That was done there. So he goes to renew that covenant of kingship. So Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, oh, tell him, there's also been a rebel in Solomon's time, a guy called Jeroboam. Right, and we'll come back to him later. But he's like a sort of um, a bit of a, a, a rabble rouser for of a, for ten of the tribes, the ten northern tribes. Verse two. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, "Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labour and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you." Rehoboam answered, go away for three days, and then come back. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who'd served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he said. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them, and give them a favourable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, and who were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put upon us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it harder and heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So three hours later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with, scourged, you that word, with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. I'm going to come back to it later, but the turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord has spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Abijah, the Shilonite. Now, this, you know, again, the context, Solomon had imposed a heavy burden on the people because he needed people to build the temple and stuff. And, you know, they didn't have JCBs and stuff. It was all human manpower to lug logs from, from Lebanon and, and a huge stone and stuff. And, and it, cost, it cost money. Um, and he had obviously a very large um, hiring of nothing else to look after. And so there was clearly heavy taxation. And people didn't like it, and they said, lighten it. And Rehoboam chooses not to take, in, in one sense, the wise advice. So the first thing you can see here about this disunity, where after this point, there's never a united Israel again. Judah and um, Reuben, uh, two tribes... Uh, Bit of Benjamin stay with David, and the rest go off and do their own thing. And from now on, they're called Judah, and the other ten tribes are called Israel. Up to this point, there was just Israel, really. 
the, ten, the 12 tribes together. And that's it. It's a massive disunity. And, and all things not good come from that in many ways. And the first thing you can say is there's this guy who, who doesn't listen to advice who wants to push his own way. One of the costs, I think, of unity in the church is sometimes having to listen to advice and not always doing it our own way. You see, one of the beauty, I mean, we've said this so many times from here, we all hear God, amen? But often weighing that truth, that revelation, comes through the body of Jesus. We're not called to be little people all by ourselves. We live and we work and we breathe and we share in a community. It's why Laurie has this team of people you know, who, who get together when we get words and weigh them together. It's a body thing. It's a corporate thing. And, and Rehoboam is the king. In one sense, he does what he likes, but he does what he likes, and it goes badly wrong for him. And I think one of the costs is sometimes, uh, and for me, I'm speaking to myself here always, one of the costs is thinking, I reckon this is pretty cool, but actually the people I respect, the people in my community, the other Christians, the prophets and whatever, they're not saying that, so I'm going to just back off that and go that way. And for all of us, that's sometimes not easy to do. As, as I regularly say, you know, I can get things wrong. I mean, I don't, because I'm perfect, but I can get things wrong. But I don't like admitting it sometimes. I suppose this is tighter for leaders than for other people. But I think it works for all of us. Because what you see is people sometimes think, I think this is the way to do it, and most of the church don't really think that. I'm going my way. And you get little splits and divisions come from it. Yeah? Jesus didn't... Jesus came to make Chris Clare forgiven and alive, but to put me into a kingdom, a community. Jesus comes to build a community, a kingdom. It's corporate. Our English translations lose so much because of the fact that we don't have a, you know, you is both singular and plural pronoun. So much is plural. And that's the first thing. And Rehoboam, you can analyze this at that level. Stupid boy. I mean, in a way, I think the older, elder people are saying, just, just be nice to them now and they'll be yours and then you can change the taxes later. That's what, isn't every government ever has done? Elect us and we'll be good to you. So they get in like, stuff it, we're going to do this. And that's just politics. But if you go a level down, the writer of Kings, by the way, you get a complete picture in Chronicles, but the writer of Kings, verse 15, says, So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord, to fulfill the word of the Lord has spoken to, Jer- to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Abijah the Shilonite. I suppose we better go back and look at that, hadn't we? So going down one level down, back to chapter 11, not very far back, verse 9. I think I may have got... So verse 9, the Lord became angry with Solomon because of his heart was turned away from the Lord his God, who had appeared to him twice, although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods. Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. 
Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him, I'll give, sorry, will give him your son one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, I've chosen. So there's a prophecy, it doesn't actually say in 1 Kings 11 who it was, but it's Abijathal, the Shilonite, who gives that prophecy, uh, that word of the Lord to Solomon. And so, so in a weird way, and, 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 and here's where I just want to say it without trying to analyse it too much. This massive division that comes is God-ordained. And it's to fill the word of the Lord. And at every human point, you think, what is going on here? And, and, and this is, I don't want to, I'm glad it's only a few of you and four or five of you online, because this is still me thinking through it. But I think actually one of the costs of unity is sometimes we work at it when God's actually not in it. And it's really hard to tell when that is. My best example of this um, is a very long time ago when I was thinking and praying about it. When we were trying to run a mission, I mean, I was at university, you know, um, in the 19 whatever's, 50s, whatever, a long time ago. We were trying to run a mission, and we wanted it to be, you know, the Christian Union and the Baptist Society and the Methodist Society and the Uncle Tom Cobley Society, all the, all the Christian societies together. And to be honest, we worked really hard at that. And I think in a way, we're just a waste of time, actually. Now, now, unity is a brilliant and wonderful thing, but just occasionally, I think, we have to recognize that actually God's word is not in it. And, and you don't want to find your time working on stuff because you've got this artificial fixation on what unity looks like. Unity is a very beautiful and complicated thing. And... That's why I get into my problems with you know, wider m models of what unity is. But whatever, whatever, whatever's going on, deeper in a second, that was, but why did God say that? Back to verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. And what was his problem? Back to chapter 11, verse 1. There's a third cut down. First reason, it, it, go, it goes wrong because Rehoboam is an idiot and doesn't listen to advice and to his own way. The second thing is, it's because of the word of the Lord. Actually, God was going to be in this somewhere, you can see. Third, deeper, or at least before, prior to that, 1 Kings 11, chapter 1. Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, Hittites. They were from the nations around, which the Lord had said to the Israels, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love, he had 700 wives. Just listen to that. He had 700 wives. I can't remember the names of 700 kids at school. Uh, hopefully they were all badged up when they came into him. 700. Yeesh. Um, and 300 concubines. If 700 wives wasn't enough to get around 1,000. But anyway, and his wives led him astray. I can make no comment about that either. Okay. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after their other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, did not follow the Lord completely, 
on a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built high place for the Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives. All his foreign wives at 700 shrines to other gods around Jerusalem. Where it really goes wrong here is the problem of Solomon and, put it brutally, women. And it could be the other way around. It's not because I'm particular about sexism here. He just did not follow God wholeheartedly. And one of the costs of unity, I think, I mean, we all got to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Amen. But, there are, but <laughs> if we are, there's stuff in our lives that's wrong. If there's stuff in our fellowship which we don't call out, and it goes on. And this is not a short thing. It's not, David, you see, does some really bad stuff, but he slips, he falls, he sins, and bosh, it sorts out. This is, this is a, this is a, a, when was his first, oh, the daughter of Pharaoh is his first foreign wife. You have to lead pure and holy lives. And it's boring to say it, but you have to lead pure and holy lives. And one of the costs of unity is making sure we do that, not just for ourselves. It matters to me and God that I'm holy, but it matters to my fellowship that I do that. Do you get that? And that's, I mean, it's, in a sense, it's not really a cost because you want to do it anyway. But, and praise Jesus, I know of nothing, you know, even in the recent last, and whatever years here, of like this. But you see so many fellowships where there's, a, where there's someone, often in the core, who slips in this sort of way, who sins, whose heart is not devoted to Jesus. And what's that work out? They may or may get a profit to warning them about it, I don't know. But it works in division and disunity. Paul, writing in Ephesians 4, says, I'll quote this directly. Almost coming to land here, actually. Paul, writing Ephesians 4, says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul says that because he knows it has to be done. Although, in one sense, he goes on to say, there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one Father of us all. In one sense, our unity is absolute because it's defined by Jesus. Everyone in the kingdom has been got us there because of Jesus' death and because they have faith in Jesus. In one sense, unity isn't something you can make or create or work at. It, it just is. We're all children of God. But in this world, where it's still the... the <laughs> not there yet of the gospel. In this world, Paul writes, make every effort to maintain that bond. One of the costs of unity is having to work at it at times. It's very easy maintaining unity with people I like who think like me, who like worship like me, who are like the jokes and the music that I do. Actually, the jokes I do is very few and far between, so let's not worry about that. But it's much harder sometimes maintaining unity with people who God loves and God died for, who are his children. I'll have to make an effort through the bond of peace. We maintain peace and we work at it. Jesus, when he prays for the, disciple, for the church, what does he pray? When he says, I don't pray for these only who haven't prayed for the disciples, he prays for himself, he prays for the disciples, and then he... Um, um, John 17, he then 
prays for those who hear through their word, i.e. us. What's he pray for us? Really, one thing, that they be one, as you and I, Father, are one. Jesus prays that, I'm sure, partly because he knows and senses that is going to be a... He says, they may be one so the world will know. The evidence that Jesus is who he is, Jesus says, is that his followers will be one. Unity is, is important. It's a fantastic thing. And it's not a given in Christian communities. And part of the cost of it is sometimes not taking, not listen, you know, listening to advice rather than doing our own thing. Listening certainly to prophecy. What would have happened if Solomon had heard that prophecy properly? I don't know, but I know that God it sometimes, I, I don't like to say changes his mind, but that's what happens, isn't it? Like Nineveh. If Solomon had listened to that prophecy from Ajah the Shilonite and said, what he should have, what David would have done, oh, I'm really sorry, Lord, you're right, I'm sorry. And dealt with the Asherah poles and the things. Yeah. Who knows what had happened? may have to take advice. It would never be easy. You must always listen to what God says. Prophecy. And lead holy, straightforward lives. Be devoted to the Lord God. Keep short accounts. When things you do are wrong, when I do things that are wrong, don't confirm in that. Confess them quick and get out. Be a David, not a Solomon. And not a Rehoboam. Now, there's not many of you here tonight. And there's a few online. And I don't know if this is a... I mean, I think unity is really important, but I don't think I want to worry the church about it because at the moment, I don't think it's our problem, really. But it's always in the background. So we're going to pray. Is that okay? All we're going to do is I'm going to... I don't think it's a personal word for you. I think it's a word for us as a, as a church. So we're just going to stand in a minute and then we're just going to declare sort of unity over our church. And we're going to take protection over particularly over Laurie and Wendy. They're always particular at risk, leaders. Right? It's not Solomon had 700 wives. There may have been some geezer in Jerusalem who had more wives, but that's not the issue. The issue was it was Solomon who was the leader. Make sense? Any, any, there's enough of you. You can make a comment if you want. Okay, let's stand. Just take a moment first. again before as I did before the service Father I just come first in confession for any stuff in my life which is not in line with you Holy Spirit just just highlight anything that's need to now I let down God and accept your forgiveness Father, we want to pray protection over the unity of this fellowship. We declare that we will make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace amongst the people who worship in this place. Just you can say that in your own words and quietly under your breath in your head. We'll make every effort to maintain. We commit ourselves, Lord, to making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace.
Lord, for we just commit ourselves again. Lord, we have strong views sometimes, and we bless you that we can share those views. And But Lord, we just say again, we want to be at one with your people here, and we're willing to sub- subsume, to subserviate our our thoughts and our whatever's, our wills, and to what your people here as a whole say under the leadership. And Father, as Solomon didn't, we commit that we will listen to what your prophets say here. And that words authenticated and weighed and but given in prophecy, Lord, we will value them and respond to them. And Lord, if there are things that you need to shout, call out in our fellowship, Lord, call it out. We give you permission in our lives, in our fellowship. Send your prophets, God. And we declare that we will be a people whose unity is not only real, but speaks to the world of the unity that, Jesus, you have with your Father and that we have with you. That we may be one, even as you, God, are one with your Son, Jesus. And lastly, God, we pray for Laurie and Wendy. Protect them and whoever else in leadership as well. But particularly those two this evening, we pray for your protection for them. It's all the attacks of the enemy. We'll throw at them. Got the particular things in your head. Call it out. Amen.